we're going to continue in our series today, uh, Presence and Practice, in Ephesians 4, if you'll join me. Uh, there's some pew Bibles if, if you want to get in on it, because it's a little longer. Uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 16. Therefore, as a prisoner for the Lord, I encourage you to live as people worthy of the call you received from God. Conduct yourselves with all humility, gentleness, and patience. Accept each other with love and make an effort to preserve the unity of the spirit with the peace that ties you together. You are one body and one spirit, just as God also called you in one hope. There is one Lord, one faith, one baptism, and one God and Father of all who is over all, through all, and in all. God has given his grace to each of us measured out by the gift that is given in Christ. That's why scripture says, when he climbed up to the heights, he captured prisoners and he gave gifts to people. What does that phrase, he climbed up, mean if it doesn't mean that he first had gone down to the lower regions, the earth? The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above all the heavens so that he might fill everything. He gave some apostles, some prophets, some evangelists, some pastors and teachers. His purpose was to equip God's people for the work of serving and building up the body of Christ until we all reach the unity of faith and knowledge of God's Son. God's goal is for us to become mature adults, to be fully grown, measured by the standard of the fullness of Christ. As a result, we aren't supposed to be infants any longer who can be tossed and blown around by every wind that comes from teaching with deceitful scheming and the tricks people play to deliberately mislead others. Instead, by speaking the truth with love, let's grow in every way into Christ, who is the head. The whole body grows from him as it is joined and held together by all the supporting ligaments. The body makes itself grow in that it builds itself up with love as each does their part. Will you pray with me? Father, we pray that line, let's grow in every way in Christ. So let my words help achieve that. Fill them with your spirit. Open our ears that we might hear and our hands that we might receive you. We thank you for all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I vaguely remember this story growing up, that there's a Savior present. The Savior shows up, is in the midst of his followers as they present themselves and their gifts to him together. That they might bring their passion and their gifts from their varied and sometimes widely far-flung different locations together, not only to work towards peace and wholeness and renewal of all creation, not only to fend off powers and principalities which threaten to distort or pollute or destroy the very goodness of this created universe, but especially to operate within the power of their Savior who possesses in full what each of them possess in part, like each of the specific gifts. I remember this story vaguely. 
I wish I could say that I grew up with kind of the biblical imagination forming, nurturing environment that Meg and others in our church cultivate with Godly Play. If you don't know about Godly Play, get in with Godly Play because I think my kids will actually remember this story. But that's not what I'm referring to. I didn't have that. The story that I remember as a kid rather than Jesus of Nazareth was this green mulleted superhero. Brian? That's okay. Uh, it wasn't Jesus. It was Captain Planet, right? I'm, I might even be dating myself in this room by going to 90s cartoons. We need to get in the aughts, right? But to give you a little refresher on Captain Planet, he would summit, summon the planeteers, and my wife's frowning because she wasn't allowed to watch Captain Planet when she was a kid. She, he would summon the planeteers from around the globe, and each of them would be from a continent, and they would bring the gifts of earth, fire, wind, water, and heart. Heart was like the quintessential, literally, gift. They'd all circle up, and, and then came the catchphrase, because every superhero has to have a catchphrase to show up. Let our powers combine. And then Captain Planet would come down, and they'd say, Go, planet, right? And, and after which Captain Planet would show up and he would help them and they would help Captain Planet. They would participate in this mission to ward off against these eco-villains. Um, you can go, yeah, those are all earth, fire, wind, water, heart. Um, and they would fight these eco-villains that had amazing names like, uh, can you see at the bottom here? You can't see it too well, but names like Hoggish Greedly, you know? which is like piggish overconsumption personified, right? Or there's probably my favorite name is Luton Plunder. Luton Plunder. Or Sly Sludge, which is bad waste management in personal form. Duke Nukem, associated with nuclear power. Dr. Blight, which is uncontrolled technology. And Verminous Scum, which is bad sanitation, voiced by Jeff Goldblum, by the way. So, but the, the reason why this, is, we're so far afield right now, but the reason why this is important, like, I love Batman, but this is a way better superhero analogy for what we're reading in Ephesians 4 than Batman, because for Batman's presence to show up, they merely just broadcast a, a symbol, a sign on a building. It's, it, it's not personified, it's just save us. And I, I think we're so, uh, in the church, like, groomed and acculturated into this sort of Batman mentality, which we read the Psalms and they say, God, show up for us. But then we get this, this picture in Ephesians instead of us bringing our gifts together and, and <laughs> when, t when two or more are gathered, he's in their midst. So we're, uh, we're, we're going to keep going in this and hopefully you'll see this analogy kind of pick up and, and take on some life for you. Uh, as we go through Ephesians 4. So first, one of, the, one of the most important things, there's kind of three important things here. The first important thing uh, about this is that Jesus is Lord. <laughs> That's elementary, I'm sure. You, you didn't expect a preacher to stand up here and say Jesus is Lord, right? But not only is Jesus is Lord, but the crucified, resurrected, ascended Lord, Jesus, gives gifts. 
It's a really sneaky, subtle note in Ephesians 4 that if you weren't looking for it, it's, it's one of those italicized texts probably in your Bibles, and you just skipped right over it because you have no idea what it means. And even in the text, he says, what does it mean to go up except that Christ might go down? Like he tries to start to explain it. I think this is important. Uh, one one uh, pastor and scholar says uh, this is important because being a Christian, like kind of boil it down, simple, simplified, being a Christian is always about living by faith in Jesus' sovereign lordship in a world which didn't much look like he was in charge. You get that? Like, that's what we're about here is, and that's kind of what faith is about, the faith in things unseen. Uh, It's not just these miraculous, mysterious things. It's that God is really, by Jesus, in charge of this world and is bringing it towards its right end and its righteous end. Ephesians uh, quotes and kind of remixes this part from Psalm 68. That's what the italic text is. It says in Psalm 68, and I think this is a slide, Brian, says, you ascended the heights, and this is a victory psalm. Like when we talk about God being Lord, that means God is king. God possesses the power and the sway to do what God wants. It says, you ascended the heights, leading away your captives, receiving tribute from people, even those who rebel against the, Lord's, the Lord God's dwelling there, God's presence. This is what we would expect. When a king goes and conquers a territory, the spoils are the kings. The spoils are, are this new occupying countries to do what they want with. But Paul quotes this and, and, and kind of flips it, kind of, kind of remixes it. And, and you can almost hear the, the record scratch because his quotation says, that's why scripture says, pointing back to this, he says, when he climbed up to the heights, this is Jesus he's talking about, he captured prisoners, and he gave gifts to his people. And it's like the, the smallest little thing, receiving gifts to giving gifts. But I think that says something massive about the way when Jesus becomes Lord, when Jesus shows up, when God's presence is in our midst, it completely flips how power works, how our expectations for what God's work and presence looks like and how to participate in it works. And I think that's exactly why our gifts are, are completely related and connected with our ability to submit to Jesus as Lord and our ability to submit to each other in this body that we call the church. The message paraphrases this part in Ephesians. says that Jesus handed out gifts above and below. He filled heaven with his gifts and he filled earth with his gifts. So for us to tap into this is for us to begin receiving and giving and processing and participating in this heaven and earth filling presence, these heaven and earth filling gifts. The one who went down is the same one who climbed up above the heavens so that he might fill everything. He might be all in all, the beginning of the chapter says. So why give these gifts and why are they different? Because I think when God shows up anywhere, when God shows up somewhere, it's all, God, God just doesn't show up hypothetically, but God shows up in a place 
we encounter God. That's the promise. That, that's what we're hoping for. When God shows up in a place that's so massive, so expansive, that I think God, uh, even when he showed up in the person of Jesus, um, when Jesus ascends and leaves and, and rules over this world from the right hand of the Father, he has to like, kind of diffuse these gifts, kind of pass them out around so, so that none of us becomes like independently always and only Jesus, but we need each other to experience this presence. Let me describe some of these gifts. We've talked about this a little before at Oak Church. It says he gave apostles. That's a really hard word, I think, for us to understand what that is or what that looks like. So, like, I think we need to do some work in trying to figure out um, and develop an imagination for what these gifts would look like in our midst because it says that Jesus gave these gifts. And so, and so it's not a matter of whether or not these are present. It's whether or not we're aware of them and whether or not we're using them and whether or not we're cultivating them, equipping and empowering them. So we look around and we look for these apostles, and these are, these are sent people to go places where the good news is better than anyone would have thought. These are also people that bring others with him or her. That's what an apostle looks like. And you can probably look around this room and be like, that person is so not afraid to go. Like they're an adventurer. They're a pioneer. They're a starter. Or prophet. And I always remember the caution at the beginning of divinity school. Uh, it's like week one of Old Testament class when your wise Old Testament professor says, how many of you guys <laughs> seek to have a prophetic ministry to be prophets? And like almost everyone raises their hand. They're like, prophets normally die. <laughs> People don't listen to prophets. You know, uh, prophets are the ones that lay around for a week, like what you know, with a pan, you know, and or have their wives divorce them in public. That's what prophets do. But to have an imagination for prophet, I think, is someone with just this this holy discontent in them that bugs the daylights out of them because this discontent is deep in their bones, and they're going to be completely irritated, and it's unthinkable to them that truth and justice and faithfulness aren't winning out. Prophets are, are calling people back to God. And, and they're not just, this isn't uh, like um, air horn calling people back to God. This is calling their own people back to God. Prophets always stand from within, and prophets stay <laughs> until they're normally pushed out, right? Or evangelists. Evangelists has a really bad connotation to us, too. But... But think about this, and it's cool that we have uh, amazing cooks in this room, but evangelists are like master chefs who they've tasted and seen the goodness of the Lord, and so they know how to like cook that up, but they also know how to describe it to others, and they can't help but invite others to that feast. Like evangelists create hospitable spaces, and they help dead taste buds come to life. Like that's what evangelists do. I think we have some evangelists in here, and you guys don't even know it, right? Or the, the last two of these, and there's an acronym here, APEST, Apostle, Prophet, Evangelist, Student, Teacher. The last two of these are maybe a little more familiar with us, but I think even as we familiarize them, we don't get them all right. 
shepherds, like shepherds guide and gather. I went to a wedding last night, and I, I didn't have any like official role, but but <laughs> they're like, all right, we need to. It was at a farm, of course, and, and they're like, we need to get people towards the wedding site, and I was like, oh, like this is pastoral work, like pasturing people, right? And and that's that's kind of what a shepherd does: is guide and gather. Shepherds anticipate needs and bind up wounds. That's what. That's why when you see a picture, uh, biblical imagery of a shepherd, Jesus is a good shepherd, David is a shepherd, they always have a hurt lamb over their shoulders caring for them, walking when they can't walk and, and helping heal those wounds. Shepherds listen for voices from the margins, the one sheep that's wandered off or the sheep that's in harm's way. And they guide and guard others from harm and hurt. The good shepherd gives his life for others, or teachers. Teachers open the scriptures, but they also open the world up. They, they open us up to growing our minds in Christ, to being transformed by the renewal of our minds. Uh, this is a, a spirit-renewed curriculum of Christ-likeness. Like, teachers don't just teach things because they're interesting. Teachers teach things because they're important and they're true. I think we have some teachers in this group. But then shortly after all these gifts, that APES gifts that, that we get, shortly after in the next chapter that we didn't read today, in chapter 518, um, it says, be filled with the Spirit in the following ways. Speak to each other with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music to the Lord in your hearts. Always give thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And then, and that, that all kind of jives with this picture of like grace and excess, all these gifts, all this community receiving gifts. So like think about it like Christmas Day where you're just, everyone's opening up gifts and what did I get and what did you get and how can we use it together, right? before you start fighting for other people's gifts, right? But then, at the end of that, that section in chapter 5, we have this kind of surprising thing. It might surprise us. It says all these things, speak and sing, give thanks. And then it says, submit to each other out of respect for Christ. You can, you can see already there's, there's this connection forming with this gift giving and receiving and submission. There's a real recognition that these two things go together, receiving gifts and submitting to Christ and one another. That's how this remix works. Because rather than some stifling, denying, zero-sum game refusal in which we enter into life under Christ simply because um, like we, we'd rather be under his thumb than under some less benevolent dictator's thumb, right? Like that's, that's how Rome worked. That's what the peace of Rome, Pax Romana, was like. It wasn't very peaceful. It just was better than the alternative. That's not what life in Christ is like. Christ is not trying to dictate you or rule you. He's, he's trying to have you enter into this life of gift-giving and receiving and submission that is freeing. It's a dynamic. It's a participation. It's a constant negotiation and discernment with others. It's a stewardship. We become regents of this king, participants in God's kingdom. 
We willfully receive, and receiving always comes first, not in a greedy way, but in a grace way. And then we submit what we've received in faith, hope, and love. That's how church works. So the second thing, first, the Lord gives gifts. Second, that Jesus has given the ministry of Christ to the body of Christ in order to manifest the fullness of Christ. Ministry, body, fullness of Christ. And guess what? It's all about Christ. It's not even really about us. <laughs> you can see how this has gone off track in the church, how, how we have this idea of gift using and equipping and developing, because most churches don't look this diverse in how we operate or how we affirm gifts. We're supposed to have apostles, prophet, evangelists, students, and teachers in our churches. And again, I don't think the problem is with the gift giving, but it's the gift recognition and using. So why do most of our churches only play one or two notes? Why are most of our leaders in churches and leaders at every level, why are they mostly like pastors and teachers? And I say this as a pastor who is teaching you right now. Why is that? Like, why are we, why are we narrowing instead of widening what, what Christ has given to us? I, I think probably a lot of people in this room, I, I'm one of them, have probably left a church at some point in their life because whatever gift they most have or most like envy or prize wasn't happening in that church. So we, we say things like, oh, we don't like the way they do ministry. Um, like if, if we're really into evangelism, the, the church just wasn't evangelistic enough. Or that if we're really uh, apostolic, that church isn't missional enough. Or if we're really prophetic, that church just isn't into justice enough. Imagine what would, what would happen both if you stayed and if that church was the type of church that would, would receive and nourish and that you'd submit your gift to them and in submission they would receive it and use it. And then we'd have all these churches with these wildly different personalities present that are possessing and extending the logic and impact of God, uh, the, the presence of Jesus. Uh, I, <laughs> I, I think, like... It's amazing to me that, that church like this, this like kind of anemic slice of church has still existed because like we have some farmers in our congregation or people that know something about agriculture and this is like monocropping. This is like growing one thing year after year after year and then like the soil just gets devastated by it. Whereas instead if we had this kind of biodiversity where we're growing things in season, we're growing a wide variety of things, there's a, there's a place for rest. <laughs> there's also a place for like bumper crop major production in season that, that will sustain. I think that's also why God in Christ has given us all these gifts. Like not to, not to pretend like my Greek is really good. I always get nervous when Joe Longarino is in here because his Greek is really good. Or not, not to pretend like there's a lot of grammar aficionados, but when it says Jesus gives gifts, it's an aorist indicative, right? Do you all know what that means? That means it happened once and for all, right? Like it's done. Jesus 
gives gifts. He gave gifts, and those gifts are here. That's like a constitution statement. That's who we are. That's a, that's a statement of reality that, that's not going anywhere, that these gifts are given to us and these gifts are in our midst. So the decision then is whether we're, we're going to obey, i.e. submit to Jesus' wisdom in giving gifts, or if we're going to ignore it and try to figure it out on our own. The logic of all this just seems too important for us to ignore. Because more than a constitution, sharing and submitting these gifts is like a reconstitution of Jesus. Like a putting back together of Jesus. Because Jesus possesses all these things. Like apostle par excellence. Like the sent one. For God so loved the world, he sent his only son. He gave his only son. Like, like I, can, I can give you all these. Evangelists. This is Luke 4, Isaiah 61. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me to preach good news, to to release to the prisoners, binding the broken up. Uh, uh, Prophet, like Jesus is that prophet in his hometown that has no place to lay his head. Foxes have homes, but the Son of Man doesn't have a place to lay his head because he's been rejected for speaking this prophetic word inside of his people. They need to repent and hear the good news. Shepherd, the good shepherd who lays his life down for his sheep. Teacher, that, like even as a teenager, Jesus was attracted to standing up in the temple and proclaiming the good news and teaching with the entire wisdom of God. And then if we go uh, towards the end of our passage today, we see that all these things are given for a purpose, for not just, not just, to have, not just because they're nice, but they're, they're given, and there's this word in there that is a little hard to translate. It's ketartizo, uh, uh, and, it, and it's like fulfillment. Um, sometimes it gets translated, but it's also like to mend or to complete or to heal. Like all of this is so that we might be complete, that we might be whole-making, and we might be like shalom people like bringing fullness and rest. I, I think that's really cool. Um, I didn't catch it until we were singing today or, or until walk through like our song sheet today, that middle set of songs. If you look on it, like all the songs have the word bless or blessing in them. And like, I think that's what this is all about. <laughs> like, that w- again, that's the original call that Jesus is fulfilling and putting that together, that we might be blessed to be a blessing that we have been blessed with these gifts to bring about wholeness and healing. I think how this works uh, happens on a bunch of different levels and scales. Like I'm learning about this as a parent because I think it's awful tempting for efficiency's sake and sanity's sake to want to like screen out all the different personalities uh, and all the different um, inherent problems and all the different things that, that are brought to bear. And so uh, it's tempting as with Rach, as one's kind of in control of this family, hopefully with, with the Lord as well, to, to screen out these gifts rather than to help them flourish and to help, these, help our kids who are all very different people um, understand what gifts they have been given, what gifts they haven't been given. <laughs> you know? and, and it's this dynamic process 
Uh, it's a little bit of trial and error to figure that out. Uh, the other thing with, with how this works, how, how you realize you have gifts, how, how you realize this is a thing, and why this has to happen with other people. I think the example I think of is American Idol. And has anyone ever watched American Idol? Do we have like deep fans of American Idol who have gone back a while? So like that show got really bad when Simon and Paula left, right? Because you didn't have someone like Simon, who was kind of a jerk, but also a truth teller, who said, you think you're a singer, but you can't sing. It also got bad when we didn't have Paula, who said, you can't sing, but you look great today, right? And so like, that's part of this process, and I think that's why Jesus gives us gifts, not in isolation, but together, so that you can say, I think I'm an apostle, and I submit that to you, that I think I'm an apostle. And then everyone else is like, no, no way, you know, like, no way. We're not, we're not sending you for that because you are too valuable as an evangelist here. You know this place too well to go to that place. Or, again, it normally happens with, with prophets because there's like an inevitable warm-bloodedness in the being prophetic you know like I have a friend who says he only has two emotions anger and righteousness right and that's kind of <laughs> what prophets experience all the time but we test that in community so we so that helps us like get better at that that's what we practice and so we say like now you're being prophetic and that's something that challenges me and that I need to submit to because you're right or you say, in this case, you're just being a jerk with like a really strong opinion. And like that's not, that's not for this season. That's not for this time. That's not for this place. And we do that together and that happens because I submit to you and you submit to me. And that is so stinking risky. <laughs> that's so risky because it, it, it's perpetuated on the logic that, that like you're going to not hurt me. You're going to receive and not lie to me. That I'm going to give all of myself and you're going to receive it. That's what the body of Christ is about. That's why church is more of a, of a participation. Uh, a, really wise, a really wise person said that uh, the, church is, uh, the church is the place where, gosh, I'm losing this, I'm sorry. The church is a place in the world that, that the, the church is a place where the world receives Christ. It's because all of these things, all these slices and parts of Jesus are put together and when they're assembled, when our gifts are combined, we experience and extend Christ's presence. The last thing, I call this um, kind of submission and gifting apest in real life. I was really, I was really, um, uh, I almost said like APEST IRL because there's just too many abbreviations, right? But a great thing for us to realize when Paul talks about these gifts for us, these are such church words. We've been so acclimated to apostle and prophet evangelist as only being in the church. But at the time, these are words that Paul is grabbing from the culture at large. 
an apostle is a sent one. Like that word, that word even contains within it the root of like postman, someone who is doing postal work. Uh, evangelist is someone who bears the seal of, of the emperor who's in charge and brings good news normally of military victory. All these things, these, these are words that, that work in the church and maybe the church is the testing ground and the, the greenhouse, the, the place where these grow and we learn together and we identify and, and we use these gifts, but they're not the end point of these gifts. These, these gifts belong in the world. The church is the incubator, but the world is, is the field. <laughs> the, the, the world is also the table where we reap the harvest. So you can see how, like we mentioned earlier, how apostle, like the apostles among us can courageously go but humbly go into a new project or a new frontier. It can be launched from the church. That prophets are always the... the conscious of the conscience of the company or the family always speaking from within they're always providing this tension the right kind of reminders for those who can't speak and you do this on and down the line and so these gifts don't just get used in the church but used outside of it and these gifts also rub off on us when we don't use these in isolation just like a traveling evangelist or a prophet who like tears up social media, like is so good on social media being prophetic. Like when we actually use these together and hear each other's voices and receive each other's gifts, they start to kind of rub off on you. And you become this kind of person who might be the type of person that's always going to be an evangelist, but then you might get a chance to be a pastor and you're going to be this evangelist pastor who is amazing at speaking good news into the wounds of the person you're caring for. Or like, this is really great when a prophet actually gets a chance to teach. Like, their word is so good because it's exactly styled in a certain way and they can do something uh, someone who's always and only a teacher can't do and on down the line. I think another way all this works in real life my friend David Fitch says the phrase, quote, I submit to you is an act of leadership. I think that's something that, again, on its face seems bizarre and outlandish, that I submit to you is an act of leadership. I guarantee you if you take this mentality into your work or your home life, anytime you interface with someone else, that this will be a profound witness to the good news of Jesus Christ. The good news that Jesus has already overcome sin and death by nailing it to the cross and being raised from the dead, therefore commencing the new creation. And so often our posture doesn't reflect this because we're so scared. But I submit to you is the least fearful posture you can take, whether that's with your kids or your spouse or your friends, or someone you vehemently disagree with by saying, I submit to you, and maybe even literally saying it, right? You have an idea, you say, I don't know about this, here's my idea, I submit this to you. That might get completely thrown back in your face, but I guarantee you that posture is, is going to start to till up and create good soil for that to grow. This, this works in brainstorming, this works in leading, this works in navigating conflict. 
because instead of being so concerned with being right or making sure we won't die, actually or metaphorically, the shape of our lives will start to match the cross-shaped life of the kingdom. I submit to you means that you trust the other person to reciprocate in grace. That we have faith and we're called a people of faith, right? Like everything that we do should have some element of faith. We should have faith that someone else is going to reciprocate this vulnerability. This this means that our decision making, like I, I think this works in our decision making too, that it doesn't ever really start with a blank slate because we've already been given these gifts, remember, once and for all. So we take these gifts and and we say, I have this great idea, I submit this to you, and the ball's already rolling. There's already already momentum. There's, There's already something happening because God is always already there and already doing something. I know just personally I get so frustrated with like group projects like in anything because it feels so intimidating to have five people sitting around a blank piece of paper trying to make something right but submission you can see where where this this would be a way to to get moving fast not because your first idea is going to be the purest finished idea, but because you're already starting with something and you're already depending on God. You say, I submit to you, and then someone else receives that, offers criticism and say, yes, but have you thought about this? I submit this to you as well. It can sound a little wooden to do that words, but sometimes it's really helpful in a group if you're not good at it. I tell you, this is exactly what it means to be a leader. Like this, if we got that this is a top-tier leadership skill, uh, we'd all be so much better for it because like one of the most profoundly dangerous things is to have a bunch of leaders running around that have never submitted to anyone else. <laughs> they have no skills or experience, past or present, in doing this kind of submission. That's so dangerous. So if, if you've been hurt by that today, if, if I say the word submission and that feels like so awful to you, like You've been hurt by the excess and and in the broken form of that. You have probably yet to experience the gift that God has given in this. So we always look to God in this way. We always look to Christ as our leader, the head of the body in whom we grow. This body that grows and builds itself up in love, each part doing its work. This is a Christ who did not as Sarah reminded last week, who did not consider equality with God as something to be exploited, but humbled himself, submitted himself to death, even death on a cross, submitted to every hurt, injustice, sin, despair that exists so that it is safe for us to submit to Jesus. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow and tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. And glory is that word of God's heavy, thick presence in our midst. So with our gifts combined, let us experience and let us extend the presence of God in Christ by the Spirit into the world. Will you guys pray with me? Father, I thank you for your generosity. 
God, you give us gifts and we don't even recognize it most of the time. Uh, some of the gifts in this room are so uh, atrophied from not using them. And Lord, I, I pray your forgiveness uh, for um, the ways this body haven't, haven't used all of these gifts well. Some of the gifts in this room are so raw and young. And Lord, give us eyes to see them and courage to equip and enact and make room for them because without um, all these folks doing your work in your way, God, we are so much less without them. Uh, we thank you uh, for being way wiser than us. Your thoughts are not our thoughts and your ways not our ways. Uh, help us follow you, submit to you, and, and know you and experience you. Amen.